0: evening and welcome to Transatlantic History Ramblings with Lauren and Brian. This is Brian in Buffalo, New York, USA and with me as always is
1: Lauren from Swansea. How are you, Brian?
0: I'm good. It's not a million degrees here anymore. It's finally calmed down. It's a normal degree and, uh, you know, I had a nice three-day weekend. Because it was yes. 4th of July USA it was USA,
1: the, it, it was
0: USA. <laughs> <Day>. <laughs> But how are you doing Lauren
1: I'm good yes Masters is going really well I have uh, my talk for the um, Metropolitan Police Historical Society Next week So Ooh. Telling policemen all about medieval prisons
0: And are they going to be like uh, Going we should go back To that brutality
1: I don't know. I don't know. Because the thing is with medieval prisons is that until the reforms of the 19th and 20th century, nothing pretty much changed. So the system up until then was still pretty much the medieval system as they had
0: it. By the way... Yes? Last episode when we were talking about medieval prisons... Yes? Do you remember what I asked you?
1: What did you ask me?
0: If they had to buy the poop bucket... Yeah, we actually got an email with the answer to that.
1: They they did, didn't they?
0: No, they did not. The poop bucket was supplied, but it probably wasn't a bucket so much as a trough.
1: I, I I think they may have had to pay to have it emptied.
0: Well, the the person that wrote in said it was like a trough that was like kind of dug into the cell on an angle, so it would like almost like plumbing
1: who is this person?
0: Just a random listener. Their name was Michael. And they said it wasn't like indoor plumbing. You didn't flush it, but it was like a trough dug, dug it like an angle. Oh, yeah. And then they would just throw a bucket of water in there and it would flush it, you know, outside. But that was for men and women.
1: Well, women didn't go to prison that often.
0: Well, if they did they didn't get a poop bucket. So says Michael. Michael could be full of shit. No pun intended.
1: <laughs> just like the poop bucket. No, I think he's right. Yeah. That sounds about right. I it's just it's very hard um to um to put together a portrait of medieval prison life because there is no there are no primary sources to say like if it wasn't Covid I could probably go to Normandy and try and get some of them their sources because essentially the prison system is a is a copy of of the Norman prison system because that's what it came over with William the Conqueror. So it, it but COVID has stopped that.
0: See, I keep pictured medieval prisons like in like the bad movies where it's like some old skinny guy chained to a wall with a really long beard
1: they did have chains you know that would have been that would have been uh, to restrain you as you were being tortured and everything no happy I hate stuff how, I, I hate how matter of factly I've got when I'm discussing this yeah. Like, oh yeah they did that <laughs> oh yeah
0: <laughs> when they beat the shit out of you sure they change you up
1: yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> to protect themselves I mean workplace protection P-P-E.
0: <laughs> so, did they have the rules hanging on the wall too and like go to the town <laughs> prior to report
1: yeah. incidents? <laughs> Thou shall not kick the shit out of the prison guard.
0: Yeah. Thou shall not throw their poop bucket upon the guard. But now we know there's no poop bucket.
1: That's disappointed you, is not it?
0: Um, kind of. <laughs> only because i got this image of like do you remember the movie papillon? Yeah. Yeah. Where he's in the hole and they give him the two buckets and one's got food and one's for poop?
1: I was just I was just so heartbroken when i discovered that that
0: book the pile of crap. Well, no, it's not a pile of crap because it was a fun book. It was just bullshit. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's what I mean. It was. It wasn't true, and it. It was. It wasn't. No, like, he was just
0: a it, con artist.
1: Yeah, and that was just
0: that. That saddened me. Yeah, but you know, come on. I mean, fucking Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman. I know. I mean, great movie. I don't care if it is bullshit or not. Great fucking movie. Speaking of movies, Lauren. Yes. Got a little, uh, little something in my craw.
1: Oh goodness! What's this now?
0: Well, you, you work in a cinema, right? Yes. And you know how, like, the only thing that seems to come out these days are superhero movies?
1: Uh, we've got nothing to do with that. We don't make them.
0: No, I know. We make them here. But, so, my niece is obsessed with all the superhero movies and shit. And uh she said, well, you just don't get it, Uncle Brian, because you're old and they didn't have superhero movies when you were younger.
1: That's a lie. Nice.
0: That's what I said. I said, bullshit! They had superhero movies when I was a kid. In fact, I remember the original Captain America films from 1979. So then it made me think I should go rewatch them, because I haven't seen them probably since the early 80s, alright? Did you ever see the two original Captain America movies from 1979?
1: They are, they are, they are
0: hilarious. You've seen them?
1: Yes.
0: Well, first off, I want to talk about these films a little bit, Lauren, because, you know, these new superhero films are just all CGI and special effects. I was more entertained watching these two Captain America films where the only special effect was whenever he would do something like super. (laughs) Just that weird noise.
1: Yeah, but come on, the greatest Batman is Adam West.
0: Batman is the greatest Adam West. Batman, without question.
1: So, I mean, and there was no... There was, like, Cartoon Pals and whams. Yeah! But that's still better than any other... That's still better than any other CGI special effect that you can have. But I just like that Disney have basically um, gone, we're in a pandemic, we've got Disney Plus, you want to sit at home, pay what you would in a cinema, sit down and have the movie forever.
0: Now, here's the thing, those original... Captain America films are technically Marvel films but they're not on yes. Disney Plus
1: um, Disney may not own
0: them because yeah, no, they, but they're the supposed Disney to own don't. everything Marvel but you're right I don't think not Marvel actually. made they
1: they still, they still don't even own um, parts of the X-Men they own some they own the names of some but they don't own them
0: But I think we need to talk about these Captain America films for a minute, Lauren.
1: Oh, my
0: goodness. Because Reb Brown, who played Captain America, he was really good, actually, for a guy who was not really an actor. I mean, he became an actor, but he was primarily a football player. He was actually really good, didn't you think?
1: I think they're really good, and I think they have their place, but, you know... There's nothing like Captain America now. Have you seen? Have you been watching Loki?
0: Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. But you're not getting the point. These ones were great because this Captain America didn't wear no damn codpiece. <laughs> there was nothing being hidden in that. I mean, white Chris it, suit it, it, it's
1: like Steve, like we know from talking to Alison Weir, that the codpiece is the man purse. So maybe he, Steve Rogers, has keys for his apartment or something there. We don't
0: know. No, this original Captain America 79's like, go ahead, just check out my ding-ding, because ding, I'm wearing, like, a skin-tight suit with no card piece, and I got nothing to hide. But that's beside the point. What I really want to talk about is, you know, they made a sequel called Captain America 2, Death Too Soon. And do, do you remember the plot of this film, or do you want me to, like, kind of refresh your memory?
1: Please refresh my memory. All
0: right. So the same government lab that uh, created Captain America in, in these movies one of the other but, departments whoa,
1: whoa, 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 whoa. there wasn't a government lab that created Captain America it was stock industries that created
0: Captain now, Captain in, in America. these in these movies it was a government department they lie yeah they lie yeah you know uh, dramatic license so <laughs> one of the other scientists was working on this um, s- formula that would uh, slow down the aging process. But in order to do that, he had to come up with something that would, it, that would rapidly advance the aging process so he could you know, work backwards on it. So the government shut the experiments down. They said, No, nah, you can't do this. It's too risky. Well, in the movie, this bad guy knows about it, so he kidnaps that scientist and starts making him do that, and He's basically going to threaten that people, if you don't give me a billion dollars, I'm going to make you all age 38 38 days per hour. So that in four weeks, you've all aged 70 years and will die. Kind of a dumb plot, right? Yeah. But the guy who does this, the bad guy, is this terrorist. Who's like this internationally known terrorist in the movie. And he's like, you know, big deal terrorist. And he's supposed to be some South American general who's gone rogue and become this crazy terrorist dictator, and his name is Miguel okay
1: that sounds a bit that sounds a bit close to what I think they may have been getting at
0: Well, do you know who played Miguel, this South American no. general dictator? No, Christopher Lee. Oh my god. So yes he did. So you got the guy with the like the most deep booming British voice <laughs> which tells me they wrote this fucking script before they got Christopher Lee signed on and then forgot to change the character to some like evil British lord. <laughs> they kept him a South American general named Miguel, but it's Christopher Lee. <laughs> it's fantastic. But I just love yeah. this movie where he's on the phone This is Miguel It's like no it's not, that's Dracula
1: <laughs> And he wants to suck your blood
0: <laughs> Yeah, so I'm telling everybody Go out and watch the 1979 Captain America films You gotta watch the first one to kind of get the second one Even though they changed the, the, the woman in it The acting by Reb Brown as Captain America He's very likable and he's actually a pretty good actor He pulls it off And it's really worth it to see Christopher Lee as Miguel, the South American dictator. Christopher Lee.
1: I, I I want you to record your niece watching this and get her commentary.
0: Oh, God, no, she'll hate it. In the first one, it's an hour and a half movie, and it's an hour and 15 minutes before he's even in the Captain America suit. That's bad. No, actually, I think that was good, because it was all character developing and building. He doesn't even agree to work for them for the first, like, almost two-thirds of the movie. But they're they're fun. They're really good films, and I recommend them, people. I think you can find them streaming on, um, you know, some of those streaming channels that are free, like Tubi, things like that. They should be up there, but uh, check them out. And I think you should, too, Lauren. You'll love it. Especially the fact that uh, Captain America ain't hiding nothing behind a (laughs) codpiece.
1: You love them. You love the. You love the Marvel movies.
0: Oh, I love this one. Then it makes me want to you go. You
1: love f- them. I I saw I heard all about you getting gooey over WandaVision.
0: I loved WandaVision.
1: It is it's amazing.
0: But uh yeah, so that's my that's my uh, that's my uh, thing of the week is uh this Captain America love- film with Christopher Lee as uh Gal.
1: You love Loki.
0: I haven't seen Loki.
1: I've just started watching it. I'm really enjoying it.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm you know... I'm, I'm kind of
1: like, where with the TVA, though, when Wanda was pulling all her nonsense? <laughs> uh, it wasn't nonsense.
0: I've got other things to watch, like uh, Captain America and uh, a badass motorcycle he had in this series, in this movies, too. It was really cool. Because it was like a regular, like, dirt bike, like, all hyped up to be like a Captain America cycle.
1: I just think that the World War II storyline is a bit more badass.
0: Well, the storyline in this was actually pretty cool. If, if, if you don't remember, basically, he's an ex-Marine, you know, big soldier. His father um, invented this formula that, that injected himself and made him superpowers as an experiment because his father wanted to fight crime. And the underworld hated him so much, mockingly, they called him Captain America, because he was this patriotic guy fighting crime. Well, he was dead, and the guy based the serum on his own genetics, and the only person that it would match would be his son. So the government was looking for him, saying, hey, you want to continue on with this shit? And he's like, no. But then some stuff happens, and he's like, let's go get these motherfuckers, and I'm going to pay tribute to my daddy, I'm going to be Captain America, because that's what they said to make fun of him. I'm going to fuck their shit up, is, he, is what he said. Well, he didn't say that, because it was, I think, made for TV. Yeah, the words, fuck your shit up in a hurry, never came into play. But you wish they had. They should have. Don't you think superheroes should have said things like that? I'm going to fuck your shit up in a hurry.
1: I think Tony Stark would have been a bit more believable if he could have sworn. Yeah, or if, like... like just, just, like, at the last minute, when he, before he clicked, he goes, I'm fucking Iron Man!
0: Or like in a Fantastic Four film, if the thing said, I'm going to knock your fucking dick in the dirt. It's just more real. Even the bad guys don't swear in Marvel movies. What the hell is up with that? I
1: mean, yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: You never hear one person call someone a motherfucker or a dick or anything.
1: Actually, no. Loki does swear. Does He, he says something really bad. He he's, he calls he calls um, the Black Widow a quim.
0: Okay, well, yeah, but Americans aren't even going to get the fact that that's swearing.
1: When he said that in the film, I I I, I visibly went. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's that's a bit untamed for a Marvel movie.
0: I was going to say you're so shocked by that, yet you do a podcast with me, who's often told I have a potty mouth. <laughs>
1: It's just you're watching a 12A superhero film which is made for families and is just 12A because they can get away with a bit more explosions and violence and special effects and then you have somebody saying that.
0: Yeah, well, in 1979 Captain America didn't need special effects. All he needed was that sound effect. Like he was like the $6 million man or something. And he was badass. Is that what you wanted to tell me? I did, because I I was watching that. You
1: said, said, let's let's get on with the show, because I've got something to tell you. Yeah. What's this it?
0: That's it, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, you love the Marvel stuff, and I just wanted to point out that I was watching Marvel stuff. It was just, you know, 40-year-old Marvel stuff. And it was cool. And Christopher Lee is Miguel. Not Lord Summerisle. Not Dracula. Miguel.
1: Not Rasputin the Mad Monk.
0: No, no. Miguel. I want that on a t-shirt. Just a picture of Christopher Lee that says, Call me Miguel.
1: He must have needed the money to pay a telephone bill.
0: (sighs) I don't know. He looked like he was having a shitload of fun.
1: Yeah. But then, oh, I just can't believe Hammer went from making wonderful, eerie, gothic horror to on the buses. (laughs) It's like, what what the hell was that? And if you've never seen On the Buses, um, then congratulations and don't look it up on YouTube because you will be disappointed and your eyes will cry.
0: So is it bad of me to say I kind of like it?
1: Yeah, but not when it's foisted upon you every bank holiday. Like, there's one channel that they run out of stuff to pay and they'll just put on the buses and they'll... and then. Like every bank holiday, they play the same sequence of Carry On films,
0: and on the buses. I like Carry On films too.
1: Yeah, yeah I love Carry On films. I think they're amazing, but not when you're not when you have the same like five on repeat. No, it's like one weekend, one of the like for for a few months in a row. This one, this one TV channel put put Back to the Future on every. Every single weekend.
0: Oh, that's nothing. We got one channel here that every holiday, like we have, where we have three day weekends. One channel runs Star Wars movies twenty four seven, all in order, like repeat. One channel does a Twilight Zone marathon for seventy two hours, which is pretty fucking cool. That is cool. Yeah. And at, like I said, at Christmas time, one station plays the same movie, A Christmas Story. For forty-eight straight hours, over and over and over again. I'm not kidding. You sound shocked.
1: I I am shocked. Just like one film, for forty-eight hours.
0: Yep, one movie, nonstop. So you know, at least there's three Back to the Future films.
1: Yeah, no, but they would they would either play one and one and two.
0: Really, because three and... is I thought three was better than two.
1: 3 is my favourite I I do love 3 Yeah
0: 3 is fun
1: But they'll just either play 1 or 2 And then the next weekend they'll play 2 and 3 It's just weird It's just like they run out of stuff To show you And most of the stuff on television these days Is either soaps or repeats Or Real Housewives (laughs) Your your, Your Real Housewives though The American ones Like we have some and they're just bitchy The your ones, the American ones, they're crazy.
0: Well, it's all fake. Everything about that shit is fake. There's nothing real in reality television. But, speaking of real in reality... Yeah? I heard you might have gone to the American sweet shop.
1: I did.
0: And, did you get anything for the show?
1: I did. I got... A ding-dong.
0: Oh, one that I said sounded dirty. Yeah. Oh, I hear you futzing with a ding-dong. Have you tried it yet?
1: I was going to try it on air. Oh,
0: okay. Now, remember, I know you liked the Ho-Hos and weren't such a big fan of the Twinkie. Oh,
1: no, I like Twinkie. They're they're nice. Okay. so this is a chocolate one, because I know you can buy caramel-flavored ones.
0: Yeah, but chocolate's the original.
1: So yeah. So this is so just so I'm describing it, it's like a round chocolate cake with cream in the middle, but not like um like confectioner's cream, not like cream cream. Like, you know, proper whipped cream or something like that.
0: Yeah, for our North American listeners it kinda looks like a hockey puck.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Very good.
0: Yeah, chocolatey. Mhm. Is it is it a, is it a hostess ding-dong? It is. Yeah, hostess is like the Cadillac of snack cakes in America.
1: It's really nice.
0: It's a bit you rich though, isn't it? Mhm.
1: Be nice with a nice cup of coffee.
0: Ooh, now I want coffee.
1: Mhm.
0: Now, the question is, Ding-Dongs or Ho-Hos, which was better?
1: Well, essentially they're both the same type of thing. Yeah. But the ding dong, because there's more to it.
0: (laughs) Ah, see, now there's more cream in the ho-ho. There's more cake in the ding dong.
1: I don't know. There's quite a bit of cream.
0: Do you realize how silly it must sound to hear the words, there's more cake in the ding dong? (laughs) (laughs) More cream in the ho-ho, more cake in the ding dong. Sounds like a country song.
1: Right there for Dolly Parton.
0: Well, I know you're enjoying your your uh, your okay. ding dong, but I think we better go to our um, today in history. And, and I'll go first, so you can continue munching away on the ding dong. Today in history, July sixth, nineteen seventeen. T. E. Lawrence, you know Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. captured the port of Aqaba from the Turks. That he was, was a t-
1: very interesting guy.
0: That was today. You know, the big focal point of the movie Lawrence of Arabia was about them taking the port of Aqaba, uniting the tribes, and going in and defeating the Turks. That was actually today that that happened.
1: That's a beautifully shot film. I love that film. I have that on Blu-ray because it was one one of those films that the conversion was beautiful
0: oh and and, i mean david lean did nothing but make those sweeping epics and all of them i don't think anything holds a candle to lawrence it was just so beautiful
1: it was very beautiful and um oh it's just he was he was such a fascinating guy as well i mean when he came back to britain um he didn't have a bed he had this massive couch and he didn't have, like, normal beds, of like duvets and covers and pillows and stuff. He used to sleep in a sleeping bag with the um, Latin word for mine on it. <laughs> and then he'd have, a, he'd have one for a guest that said yours <laughs> in Latin on it. That's... And he, could, he said, as long as he had his luxuries, which was books and stuff, that he could live without the necessities. So you can just live on books.
0: And ding-dongs.
1: I think another one of his luxuries was coffee. Oh, so,
0: But, uh, yeah, Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, today, kicked the shit out of the Turks. So, uh, what you got for me? What you got that's better than that, Lauren? I don't
1: think anything is better than that, anything better than... But I've got one from 1348. Ooh. Yes. Um, as you know, as some people might know that during my my master's my talk the port talk portion of my masters, I did a unit on the history of the Jewish population of England, and they didn't always have such a good time and um they would be blamed for certain things and um they were eventually um outcasted and um exiled from Britain from twelve ninety until um, we until they were until uh, Oliver Cromwell welcomed them back when we had the Republic. So this is from 1348, papal bull of Pope Clement the the Sixth issued during the Black Death, stating that Jews were not to blame and urging their protection. So that's how it got. Um, you had a massive religious divide. You had um, a lot of people saying that these were God's chosen people and that they should be protected, and you had others saying that they killed Christ and they ought to be
0: punished. Yeah, I was going to say, so the Pope basically said, eh, they may have killed the Lord, but they didn't cause the plague.
1: Well, I think the Pope, that particular Pope said that they were God's chosen people, and that you weren't supposed to attack them because they were God's chosen people, and that this was all, this was, you know, that what had happened, the crucifixion and everything, was part of God's plan. And that they, you know, Jesus forgave them because, he, as he said, he didn't know what they were doing.
0: Do you remember the Lenny Bruce bit about everyone knows what a Jew really is? Yes. The ones who killed your Lord. And I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I'll confess, we did it. My family found a note in the attic. We did it. Oh, I loved Lenny.
1: He was amazing.
0: I know we've had a lot of fun so far, you know, talking about Ding Dongs and Christopher Lee. But uh, I'm going to bring it down a little bit before we bring it back up. Because uh, for those out there who don't know, a dear friend of our show and one of our greatest guests ever and a close friend, Mr. UFO himself, Timothy Green Beckley, passed away.
1: Actually, Brian, I need to correct you there. He hasn't passed away. I refuse to believe that. I will believe that he has gone home and that they came to get him.
0: Yeah, he finally caught his his ride home. Yes. Okay. But
1: I will never believe that he passed away.
0: He has left our reality and our planet. And uh, I'm going to miss him terribly. Um, I told you, Lauren, that I actually got an email from him the night before this happened
1: yes you did
0: so it was very sudden um and quite shocking to all of us and i wanted to pay tribute to him and i thought let's say a little something about him and then i I thought you know he deserves more than that because he was such a good friend and a good friend of the show that those who followed him knew that uh he had a show, a, a show he hosted called Exploring the Bazaar with Timothy Schwartz. And uh, I reached out to Tim Schwartz and asked if he would come on and, you know, say a few words about about Mr. UFO. And as we were talking about it, he said, you know, I, I don't think just saying a few words is enough. Why don't we do a whole show as a tribute to him? So that's what we're going to do, Lauren. I'm going to... Fire up the uh, the magic interview box. It's the magic interview box. And uh, I'm going to bring on Tim Schwartz so we can pay tribute to our, our dear friend, Mr. UFO. Uh,
1: That's brilliant.
0: Did that you bring enough ding-dongs for all of us? I did indeed. Okay, well, then why don't you flip the switch? All right, Lauren, now... The Magic Interview Box worked. As you know, we're doing a tribute to the great Timothy Green Beckley, who uh, was, you know, not only a friend of the show, but a personal friend, and uh, just one of the all-around great characters there ever was. And we're lucky enough to have someone who I've wanted to have on the show for quite a while for a variety of topics... But I got him to come on for this one, especially Mr. Tim Schwartz, who is another writer, researcher, historian, videographer, award winner, and was also the co-host of Tim Beckley's Exploring the Bazaar. You know, I'm thrilled you could be here, Tim. I wish it was under happier, you know, circumstances. But uh, welcome to Transatlantic History Ramblings.
2: Well, thank you very much, and uh, hello to uh, everyone, and I appreciate you uh, having me on today.
0: Now before we begin, because, you know, we're going to talk a lot about uh, Mr. UFO, but I'm going to get this out of the way first. Uh, Will you come back on for another episode to talk about Tesla or something, you know, one of the other variety of topics you've done?
2: Oh, of course, of course. No problem with that. Love love talking about anything when it comes to the world of the weird.
0: (laughs) Yes, and speaking of the world of the weird, in a world full of very unique characters. Was there ever anyone more colorful than Timothy Green Beckley?
2: <laughs> oh wow. I I tell you something, uh Tim Beckley he was a gentleman unique to himself, wasn't he? Um he was just he, he was just such a fantastic person. He was a colorful personality um you know he uh, he called himself uh, uh, Mr UFO he also uh, went by the name of Mr Creepo <laughs> by which was the uh, uh his his character in uh, some direct video movies that uh, that we produced and uh, put out in the early 2000s and i tell you something he just it's it, it it's really just hard to describe in really just a few words the type of person that Tim Beckley was because you know i've done i've done a few of these types of of tribute shows now uh, with with other people who have uh, also known him over the years and some of the stories that they have told that you know, i didn't even know and it just it it just really it it just makes me love him even more and miss him even more because i mean there wasn't a day that would go by that 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 he wouldn't call me on the phone to talk about something uh you know we we had a lot of mutual uh you know interest not only when it came to you know ufo's and the paranormal you know and stuff like that but but we you know we both we both loved uh movies and uh, and and history and, uh, uh rock and roll music you know the whole uh, music industry not not you know, we, we love the music but we also love the personalities you know behind uh, the, uh, the the music industry um, uh, publishing books and 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 magazine stuff because Tim was also uh, a a magazine publisher, especially back in the '70s and '80s. I mean, you know, he he worked for a number of different companies that uh, and put out such uh, magazines like um, um, Moped Monthly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. which I think only. Uh, it was. It was. There was only one issue ever published on that, and I don't know why. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, Tim was such a fantastic character and and such a joy to talk with every day, and I will miss him every day.
0: Yeah, I um, when I first reached out to him, I wanted to do a show on the history of of UFOs in America, mm-hmm. and I figured there's no way he was going to respond. Hmm. And he responded within two days. Mm -hmm. And the first thing he says, what's your phone number? I'm going to call you. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. And after that first conversation, I don't think more than two or three days went by without hearing from him, an email or phone call or, and and, and again, we we hit it off instantly about so many different topics. Mm -hmm. And... I would get these random emails of just incredibly random things with, what do you think about that? With all <laughs> he would say in it.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: And uh, I, I was so... Um, I was floored when I got the email from him that, uh, hey, the latest book, Alien Lives Matters, is out and you're in it. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> what? And he sends me the page with you know our show and me being mentioned in it. He was just... And he was infectiously fun. Mm
2: -hmm. Yes.
0: I also like to say, you know, there are certain people in the world, when you say this about them, it's as loving a tribute as you can give someone. He was out of his fucking mind. (laughs) And that's not a negative.
2: Uh, No, nope. Not at all. Not
0: at all. He was he was as eccentric as eccentric gets. Hmm? I think even for New York, he was eccentric. <laughs>
2: now, how did you
0: first meet him?
2: We first met. Um, I, I was working for a television station in Dayton, Ohio. This probably would have been around 1983. And uh, uh, J. Allen Hynek uh, came to town to do a, uh, a, a talk at the uh, Air Force uh, Museum. there at the uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. The museum was, uh, they were going to uh, put up an exhibit about Project Blue Book. And Heineck was uh, coming in to uh, uh, introduce this exhibit and then to talk about Project Blue Book, which of course, you know, he had been uh, part of. <laughs> the funny thing about it is, is that uh, when when I went there to do the story and to see the exhibit, the exhibit was nothing more than like uh, a single. Podium with a plexiglass case on top of it, with like a copy of the paperback book of the Project Blue Book, and then a few other pictures and things like that. Just this little—I was expecting like an entire room, naturally, you know, with pictures and, and things like that. But no, all they had was was just this little
0: my paperback.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, basically. So after I did the interview with him Which it was a great interview Because at that time You know, Heineck was starting Was deviating away From the uh, extraterrestrial hypothesis Of UFOs You know, He was looking more into uh, Maybe, you know, interdimensional Paranormal, you know Some other uh, explanation For at least some aspects Of the UFO phenomena Rather than just Um, The extraterrestrial theory So uh, After the Story ran at our station It was picked up by the CBS uh, The station was a CBS affiliate It was picked up by the CBS satellite uh, service Now this was a service that uh, um, uh, They'd put it up And then any station Across the country Any CBS station across the country Could pick this up and run it On their newscast.
0: So kind of like legitimate Sinclair Broadcasting.
2: Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you know, CBS and all the stations. I don't know what they do now. Uh, you know, of course this was pre-internet. So, uh, they had the satellite news feed ran continuously with uh, not only stories that came from uh you know, CBS uh national in uh the, the, the east and west coast but then other stations would could put up their own stories as well if they if cbs picked them you know, to do so well there must have been a station in new york that ran this story because uh, uh tim beckley managed to track me down somewhere uh, uh at the station and he wanted a vhs copy and uh, and 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 a transcript which uh, you know, I was happy to do. I mean, even at that time, I knew who Tim Beckley was. Uh, one of the first books that I ever bought um, through mail order about UFOs was uh, a book from Gray Barker's uh, Socerian Press, and it was a book called I can't remember exactly the title of it now. It was like the 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 un um, the underground. World and mysteries of the Shaver Mystery, something like that, right. and uh, and it turned out it was a book by it was Tim Beckley's first book. It was a book here, and and I was like a very young teenager when I bought that book, and it wasn't until years later that I happened to dig it out and look at it again and realize that it was a book by Tim Beckley. So I mean, you know, we had we had a, a, a connection even that far back, but. After I supplied that material to him, you know, like you said, um, you know, that was it. I mean, we we were friends. Uh, you know, Beckley would uh, uh, call me up periodically. He'd send me letters. This, of course, again, this was before uh, the 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 internet, and uh, um, you know, we just uh, continually you know communicate every once in a while if something. Um, happened in my general vicinity in the Midwest, he would ask if I could go and uh, uh, investigate, go to the area and uh, and send him reports and stuff. But it wasn't until oh, this would have been like maybe the... uh, Maybe the late 80s, early 90s. I was I was living in Indianapolis, Indiana, working for the PBS station there, and he was just getting ready to put out uh, his magazine called uh, UFO Universe, and uh, so he got he got hold of me again and asked if I could you know contribute articles for it, uh, and uh, do research for other stories and to help him punch up articles that were had been contributed by other writers that maybe didn't. Quite <laughs> have it uh, have it down enough uh, to, to 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 pass through his uh, his his proof proofreaders. So that's really how we started working together. Uh, me writing for his various uh, magazines, and then later when his magazines were they were still being published but uh, he was smart enough to realize that the magazine industry was on the downside so he decided that he was going to restart his book publishing you know he had been publishing books for for years but once he got involved in doing the magazines again he kind of let that slide so with his uh, book publishing he said hey you know you want to write me some books <laughs> and, you know, I'd, I'd never written a book before, but I was like, just the type of person I am. I said, like, "Sure, no problem," and then just kind of jumped into it, cold feet first. And uh, and that's, I mean, we we continued that relationship from from you know uh, that time on, and I mean, it was uh, uh, all the all the wonderful things that that I you know managed to do throughout this time really was uh was because of Tim because you know Tim would contact me uh and uh, he'd have some you know like wild ass idea and he'd say you think we could do this and me me, me I'd like sure <laughs> cuz you know I'm the time I'm always up for something <laughs> you know he, and uh, yeah uh, yeah
0: he just he was just full of ideas and and he he had i mean for a guy who had a stream-of-consciousness mind... <laughs> yeah, I mean,
2: that's a good way to put it. It really was.
0: I mean, talking to him on or off the air, you never knew where it was going to go or what you were going to get. hmm mm-hmm. yep. Yet, he was focused enough to do so much. hmm I mean, he accomplished a lot. I mean, far more than most people accomplish. I mean, he had, what, 28 books published under his name? That he wrote,
2: mm-hmm. at, at least there's there's more out there that he wrote earlier on that uh, are no longer be, being published. Uh, but uh, I don't know how how many. Probably add another you know ten or twenty to that.
0: <laughs> yeah, plus all the magazines, the right? movies, um, mm-hmm. the film reviews. Um, Yep. Whether they were Grindhouse or porno films, I mean, he was a film reviewer for a couple big publications, including Hustler, constantly working. Plus the countless radio shows, interviews, um, discovering other talent, getting mm-hmm. other talent to work, getting other people published, editing. I mean, he would edit a lot of these books. Right. He, um, he never slowed down. Mm-mm. Um, and we got to go back to the movies because if anybody wants to know the kind of sense of humor he had as well, one of the movies, which I love the titles of was, uh, Bloodsucking vampire freaks. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's Tim Beckley and Lauren can attest to this when we had him on the show, soon as Lauren said hello and he heard the accent, he jumped <laughs> all over it and was already starting to plan a conference for us to all go in Wales and meet and do some UFO research. Yes,
1: Yeah. He was very interested in, um, me finding out more about UFOs in Wales. I don't think there are that many North Wales, I guess, but that's because, of, but that's because there's lots of mountains that are, they can hide. They don't want to get involved with our, They don't want to get involved with our nonsense. Even I don't want to get involved with our, with human racist nonsense.
0: <laughs> I also want to point out when when I broke the news to Lauren about Tim's passing. Lauren, why don't you tell him what you told me?
1: Oh, I said, no, he didn't pass away. They came and brought him home.
0: Oh, that's, oh, that's a
2: great way to put it. That really is.
0: <laughs> I mean, this guy spent seven decades mm. in the field of UFOlogy. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever met anybody in the field that didn't like him. They might not have agreed with him. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think anybody disliked him.
2: There were pe- there were people who disliked him. Be- I think because they had never met him, you know. Uh, naturally, because of his type of personality, and that um, he made no bones about that. Um, his books and magazines that he put out—that he was wanting to make money. You know, it it didn't mean that the stuff that he was putting in this, uh, you know, on uh, these published materials wasn't legitimate because Tim always went that extra yard to, uh, to, to, to vet the material to make sure that everything was as accurate as possible. And he was also very sensitive about not publishing anything that uh, uh, was revealed to have been a hoax. All right. But there are people out there who think that uh, if you're doing this kind of work, that you shouldn't be trying to make a living off of it, that, you know, that <laughs> that, you know, for some reason, you know, you're not allowed to uh, uh, to to to, uh, uh, to make money off of, of off of doing something like this i mean it, 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 you go up to anybody and you know ask them what their job was yeah job is and you're like oh well you know i work in a car factory well why don't you do it for free you know yeah. that's the same. You know that would be the same way. You know that you know some people would uh, would act about uh, uh, you know, publishing and uh, printing up this kind of material and and you know uh, publishing a book and charging for it. Oh my God! How can you do that? It's that that whole idea was ridiculous. But there are a lot of people out there who really chastised him uh, because he not only did he publish this kind of stuff to to make a living from it but that um he was a showman about it uh you know he 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 was very uh, very big at uh uh, uh, uh making sure that uh, people knew about his books and magazines and and things like that. and like you said you know he before there were Podcast and internet shows. He did a lot of uh, terrestrial uh, radio shows. You know, he's very big in the John, Long John Nebel show in the uh, 1960s, which would have been, you know, that that era's equivalent of Coast to Coast. Uh, it was a, a station out of New York, WOR, it was a 50,000 watt AM station so you could hear it practically all across the planet especially at night and uh, tim was a favorite panelist on john's show and you know i mean you would have to go to the studio and uh, and be there you know all night uh, uh doing this you couldn't uh, just phone it in or skype it in from the comfort of your of your own home uh but uh, but yes uh, a lot of people uh are really just Disliked the showman, showmanship quality that that Tim had on the subject, but uh, you know, in his defense, and I really, you know, I, I don't have to defend him, in, you know, in any way. But I will say that uh, how many people out there found out first, found out about UFOs or the paranormal, you know, cryptid creatures through Tim. Beckley, and it was because he was not afraid to go out and stump for his material, stump for the subject, uh, and uh, and and get that information out there to people.
0: Yeah, he was. He he, he was part P. T. Barnum, mm-hmm. and, and, and you know, part Pulitzer. But he, I I don't think a lot of people understand, and it's one of the things that always inspired me about Tim was that you have to be a showman. Mm -hmm. Because if you're a writer or an artist or a creator of any type, if you're not a showman, you're nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, Or at least have some showman with you or behind you or a little bit of it in you because... Like you said, it's a living. People might take that arrogant stance that I do this for serious scientific research. Well, you know what? Scientists get paid. Yeah, not um, enough,
2: but they do get paid. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. And it, it's funny the um, the book that I just wrote, uh, which Tim loved, might be one of the last books he ever read because I sent it to him just a few weeks before he passed. Oh wow! What is is on a history book of, of pro wrestling history? And the guy I wrote it with is a very serious journalist. He was a wrestling writer for 30 years. Um, nobody knows the business better than him. I'm an outsider to the business. Mm. And then when we've been out promoting the books, he says he loves it doing promotions with me. He goes, because I can be there with all the facts and figures and just dis- details and history. And then you sell it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm P.T. Barnum. I, 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 and I'm like, that's Tim yeah. Beckley you have to be and like you said tim wasn't ashamed of it he thrived on it too come on a guy like tim loved the spotlight
2: he did he 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 really did and uh, but it you know the the spotlight is so important especially when it comes to kind of you know fringe elements uh, like uh, like this people are now more aware Of uh, UFOs and the paranormal because of people like Tim Beckley. Now there, you know, you've got all these reality TV shows about uh, these these kinds of subjects. But if it wasn't for people like Tim Beckley, we wouldn't be we wouldn't have those kinds of shows. Um, And and you know, you have to remember that when Tim got into this. Business. I mean, you know, not only was he a uh, uh, you know, foot foot on the ground UFO paranormal investigator. I mean, you know, he'd go to the locations himself, talk to the people, wouldn't just call them on the phone and, and interview. No, I mean, he he would want to get out there and and talk to them. But you, know, you have so many. Of uh, say like uh, UFO books that that have come out over the years that the publishers, if they were lucky enough to actually get a, a you know, like a, a mainstream publisher to publish their books, most of the time these publishers had no idea what they were dealing with and there would be no publicity. It would be up to the author themselves to try to stump for the books. And, you know, most people have no idea how to do that. So, you know, you would maybe get a thousand copies printed, less than that sold, and then that would be it. So many good books, so many fantastic, so much fantastic information has disappeared. Uh, because nobody knew just quite what to do with these publications, you know. Tim always wanted to make sure that that wasn't the case for his books, for his writers, and for the information that uh, that we had uncovered and 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 published.
0: Yeah, and he, um, I, I mean, you wouldn't have people like Whitley Strieber, mm-hmm. or you know, or what Art Bell became. Or anything mm-hmm. without a Tim Beckley. Right. And yet he had the he had the balls to do this in a field where you know ninety percent of the people are gonna mock you. <laughs> you know, when when you mm-hmm. are in this field, you're a kook mm-hmm. to the rest of the world. And and I love that he had the attitude that, oh, you wanna see a kook, I'll give you a kook. <laughs> uh, and you won't forget this kook
2: <laughs>
0: yet he was passionate mm-hmm. about it I mean mm-hmm. he he might have had fun with the presentation but I don't think he had fun with the information no the no, information he no. took seriously the presentation was right. the showmanship
2: mm-hmm Oh no 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 the, the 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 information was very was was very serious to him and and he had he had a mind like a steel trap when it when it comes to remembering all this stuff oh my god i i i wish that i had the memory uh, you know i'm i'm you know considerably younger than than you know he was when he passed away and i can't remember half the stuff that you know th- that he did i mean we would be doing our show and uh, you know, would bring up an obscure case and Tim could remember the date, the names yeah. of the people involved, uh, you know, the, the the their dog's name who who ran away, you know, because they were scared of the UFO. Things like that. You know, that that was one of the just remarkable things about Tim is you know, his his memory that he could just he he could pull up this information. But you know why that was, don't you? Existence. Why is that?
0: Because Lauren's right. He wasn't human. <laughs> uh,
2: you know, sometimes, sometimes I wonder uh, about that, uh, you know, because I mean, there, there, there would be, uh, you see uh, uh, some of the pictures of the way that he, he loved the dress. You know, especially uh, uh you know, in, in the seventies and I'm sure that a lot of people would look at him and say, Oh my god, what spaceship did he crawl off of? <laughs>
0: it's so funny because I insisted when we first got to know each other and we were talking, I'm like, Tim, you, you gotta send me a signed eight by ten. I'm an autograph collector to begin with. I'm a big fan, I want a signed eight by ten. And he's like, Well, as soon as I find one that I think is fun enough <laughs> <laughs> and one day i get a package with three books in it that i didn't even ask for he's just like "Here, oh, some god. books i thought you'd like <laughs> and the picture and i i cherish it it's a because it, it, it is it's one of those oh my god look at this guy photos of himself in the day after he passed away the picture frame broke
2: oh my gosh
0: I've just, just thrown that out there, and I'm the skeptic. I don't believe in most paranormal stuff. I just love it. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you that, people, I'm not lying. The picture frame was broken. Only mm. on his photo.
1: See, it, it it only happens to the skeptics to make them believe. <laughs> <laughs> he was telling you something. He came back to want you to prove that there's something after
0: death. Or that he went home. He could have yeah. picked a better way. Like he could have appeared in like you know a tuna sandwich like Jesus did or something. <laughs> I pictured Tim doing something more like that.
2: Uh, well, you, you you need to you need to buy some Indian food because that was Tim's favorite food.
0: Oh my god! And you uh, know,
2: and he he would appear he'll appear in something like that. You know, he'll appear like, in uh,
0: my curry chicken. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> he was so much fun. I don't know how. You did a show with them. I mean, when I would have him on as a guest, you couldn't get a word in. No, no. Because I would just say, on your mark, get set, go. <laughs> and we would cover about 45 to 50 topics in an hour and a half. <laughs> and I think i just said five words, Lauren, two. Yep. And it was wonderful. And <laughs> he would... He, 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 and every once in a while you'd say something and it would catch his ear and he would love it and he would repeat it five times. I think that was making himself remember it. Yeah. <laughs> and like we were talking about um, different types of aliens one time. Hmm. And he was trying to remember what the one were called, what some people in the field called them. And I just blurted out, oh, you mean the little fuckers. <laughs> and he's like, Yeah! Little fuckers. Little fuckers. Great name, little fuckers. That's them from now on, the little fuckers. (laughs) And I heard him refer to them as little fuckers a few times after that. (laughs) He just loved it. (laughs) And you couldn't shake him. He was telling me the story (laughs) about uh, the guy who had all the different evidence that his wife threw out, including the glove.
2: Oh, God, yes.
0: And as he's going, rambling on about the conversation, I just blurted, I wanted to do a Larry King. How many fingers on the glove? <laughs> and without missing a beat, he steps, he goes, normal amount of fingers. Anyway. <laughs> 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 and it was so playful about everything, but he was just, he, um, was it, his, okay, for those who, who, out there who listen to the show that don't know your show what did you do with Tim exploring the bazaar which is phenomenal. Is it gonna continue?
2: No. I just I can't imagine doing the show without Tim. You know, it's like you said, you know, he he was such an integral part of the show. Uh, you know, he made it so fun, and uh, you know, I mean, he always. Uh, we would, uh, uh, both of us would would uh, pick the guest and, and and to to bring him in, you know, for the show. And he would always uh, he would always come up with some of the most uh, most interesting uh, guests. A lot of times, uh, sometimes I wouldn't quite agree with the people that uh, that that he would want as a guest, but then afterwards, I'd be like, man, that
0: was a great show. Uh, well, it, it's funny because he was begging me uh to come on and do an episode yes about yes. ghosts of wrestlers because <laughs> i had just done a wrestling book and i'm like tim i don't know anything about ghosts in wrestling you know and <laughs> eh, will find some <laughs> it was his thing. and i'm like I, I can't go on this national international show <laughs> on a topic i don't know but that's how his mind worked he's like this will be fun
2: yeah, see, so you should have came on because one of the things about Tim is that for the majority of shows, um when we were doing when we were doing the 2-hour show, which we later had to drop it to an hour because Tim's health had gotten to the point where he was finding it difficult to 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 do two whole hours. Um probably you know, I don't know what the guests would get 40% of the time, and then the rest of the time would be Tim telling stories.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I never missed an episode.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, you 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 well know that, I mean, you know, the the, the the guest would be talking, and then all of a sudden, they would say something that would get Tim started, and then he would talk for about 10 minutes, and then finally I'd have to be, okay, now we have to uh, hear from our guest here. You remember our guest, don't you? <laughs> so, yeah, see, you could have come, come on the show... And uh, been able to say just you know a couple of things, and then Tim would have carried the rest. <laughs>
0: well, I want you to continue on. A, not maybe not that show, but another show at least, because I, you're you're fantastic. I mean, you really are great at it. Well, thank you. And um, you know, it's fun. Like I said, I am one of the biggest skeptics in the world, but I'm I'm not the the 21st century quote unquote debunker skeptic. Right. I'm a skeptic because I want proof, but I sure. don't dismiss. Mm-hmm. But I find I've been in obsessed and in love with all that is paranormal since I was a little kid. Thank you, Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> because in search of warped my twisted young mind. But you... Well, you and Tim together, it was such a great dynamic because... You could keep up with him on the comedy, but you, like like you said, you had to wrangle it in and make it serious in a show. But you got to keep the show going because the guests you brought on, the books you promoted, you presented it in a way that, even to a skeptic, I loved it. I mean, mm. I would be shaking my head at some episodes, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, I'm going to look into this more. And, you know, that's lacking. Um, I love... I I love Whitley Strieber, but do you listen to his show?
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: It's a very jaded show. (laughs) Yeah? You know, it's a very... What do you mean? Yeah, I'm going to tell you what it is, and you have to believe me. You guys Mm -hmm. didn't do that. No. And you need more of that, so please continue in some form.
2: Oh, I pro- I probably will adv- uh, eventually. I mean, we've we've gone ahead and retired exploring the Bazaar. because, like I said, it's just uh, uh, he it, he Tim was such a part of the show that it really would be impossible to to capture that same you know, <laughs> that that beautiful part of the show that just made it interesting and, and, and funny and informative. And, uh, but I mean, I, I do plan to eventually uh, come back to the network because I love that network. You know, Tina Marie's a uh, uh, uh digital radio station. I mean, she, she really has done a fantastic job of uh, 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 putting this station together and getting it out there with such and, and and the high quality of the broadcast as well i mean she she really has not pulled any punches when it comes to putting money into the facilities to uh, for for the broadcast uh, uh, but you know one of the things just like you pointed out about, about exploring the bazaar. That I think really made it uh, uh, work the way that it did is that uh, you know we would have people on there that that you know maybe their stories would be questionable, but we wanted to give them the chance to tell it. Yes, uh, you know there you know there are some shows that are just uh, just uh, completely fawning over their guests. Oh, everything that you say is true and we believe it and uh, everyone else, you know, needs to uh, uh, believe it. And then there are shows that are gotcha shows where they'll bring people in and just immediately start hitting them with... Uh, uh, just, <laughs> Just, just really rude uh, questions and remarks and it's like do you expect people to able you know, to believe this stuff and you know just just being just absolutely uh, not not very professional I think and I think about that our show on the other hand you know we're more along the lines and I like to uh, uh, th- this is one of the things that I often say when it came to mr. Beckley and myself with uh, not only our shows but uh, uh the books and information that we would put in our books is that, say, if somebody would call us up and say that uh, uh, extraterrestrials were communicating with them through their refrigerator, uh, you know, a lot of people would just hang up on them. And uh, our idea was, well, okay, put the refrigerator on the phone and let's <laughs> hear them. You know that's the you know, that's the attitude that we took. You know we're not going to automatically dismiss dismiss somebody just because the story sounds so crazy. We're all too willing to uh, to to look at the evidence. And you know if you've got pictures of of you know the little fuckers like you said <laughs> uh, uh, you know, coming in your front door and delivering pizza or whatever, then we want to see them.
0: I want to know uh, so... what the little fuckers want on their pizza. Yeah, <laughs> I'm an anchovy guy. Yeah. But most yeah, people no, aren't. Not, no and no anchovies.
1: Pineapple. Eh? I bet you they want pineapple.
2: <laughs> uh see now there's there's right there, that's the grounds for an interplanetary war as far as I'm uh,
0: concerned. exactly. <laughs> Especially with pineapples and anchovies, that's just a that's a recipe for disaster. Uh
2: my my, my daughter, my fourteen year old daughter, she she wants pineapple and her pizza, no. <laughs> And I'm just like, just just get Get out. Just get out of the house.
0: (laughs) No, that's just wrong. But he, I'm a a, a guest fawner. I fawn over guests, but for a different reason. Because I always tell Lauren, the great thing about having a podcast is I can have whoever the fuck I want on. And I'm only going to get people that I want to talk to. There you go. So I'll go and get people I'm a fan of to bring them on. And, of course, I'm going to fawn over them. Um, I'll throw in the tough questions, like how many fingers are on the glove. But it's um it's a balance. The other thing about your show and people, you gotta go watch the YouTube versions of the show, mm-hmm. exploring the bizarre, because every episode begins with a little animated sketch with a little animated you and Mister UFO <laughs> mm-hmm. that you guys voiced, and they're hilarious. Whose idea was that?
2: Oh my gosh the The person that we originally had, uh, who uh, uh, edited the uh, the audio portion of the show to put up on YouTube, uh, was also uh, an animator. Uh, you know this this guy uh, uh, was was fantastic. I mean, uh, he he had actually worked. For uh, uh, various uh, uh, companies like Nickelodeon uh, and, and places like that, uh, early on in his career, but uh, he he's become more of a, a freelancer now, and uh, had really really I think he had, you know pioneered the use of uh, some of this um, the uh, like the newer. Uh, animation software that's available really you know cheap for for PCs and and Macs, and so it was it actually it was his idea to uh, to to start animated. You know the early episodes we didn't do kind of like that uh, you know the comedy routine for the first couple of minutes. Every once in a while we'd say some funny things, and then uh, 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 our, our video guy said, "Hey, I'm going to animate that." at the beginning of the show and and it just it, it just grew from there you know unfortunately like uh, the last year of the show uh, uh, this guy got busy with some of his own projects that uh, that that he has up on youtube and really didn't have the time anymore to uh, you know because the amount of time it took to do just a couple of minutes of 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 animation, and then to uh, get your computer to render it, because I mean it, it may not take too long to actually uh, uh, put that animation together, but then it may take a couple of hours or maybe a day, depending on you know how extensive it is for your computer system to render that video to you know, to make it <laughs> usable. Uh, but but yeah he he wasn't able to do it anymore so we we would still do the comedy routines, but they just quite were they, they weren't quite the same without that fantastic animation. And you're right, boy, I mean uh, it uh, that really did uh, 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 make <laughs> make the video the YouTube versions of that show just fantastic.
0: And, and another thing I always wanted to ask, why did you call your show, show Exploring the Bazaar instead of A Tale of Two Timmies? <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, well, the, the the name of the show actually came from uh, the the owner of the station, Tina Marie, uh, she, she, because she was the one... Um, who approached us, she approached Tim first. We had both been on, she had a show, uh, called, uh, restricted airspace mm-hmm. that we had, uh, we had both at various times had, had been guest on her show. And, um, previously both Tim and myself, uh, we had our own separate shows on, uh, uh another network, uh, uh I'd started out doing a show with um, Mike Mott, uh, who is a fantastic, uh, uh, has got some fantastic books about uh, underground, you know, Hollow earth types of mysteries. And uh, uh, he invited me to be a, uh, a guest on his show one time, and then later on, uh, his when his co-host left, uh, asked me to be his co-host. So naturally, then after we did the show for a while, we had on uh, Tim Beckley a couple of times and the owner of this station loved Tim so much that he offered Tim his own show and uh, so uh, Tim was doing his own show with somebody else since I was already uh, committed and uh, and then uh, uh Circumstances had it that you know I could no longer do Mike's show. Tim could no longer do you know his show on this network. So then uh, Tina Marie uh, approached uh, Tim Beckley and asked if because uh, she was just getting ready to start KCOR, and she goes, hey, you know, you want to do a show on on our uh, network? And Tim was like, hell yeah! And can Tim Swartz join me? Because any time that he was on the uh uh the outer edge that was a show i was doing with uh, mike mott time that he was on it 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 was like the most fun moments that you heard <laughs> on exploring the bizarre and i mean we just had that uh you know that that uh uh <laughs> that rapport i guess you know the best way to put it you know i mean we, we were just naturals together once uh Once we started doing Exploring the Bazaar, I mean, it was just just such a natural thing. And, you know, every once in a while, naturally, we would have a guest that would bail on us at the last moment for various reasons. Some of them, you know, a couple of times, uh, they wouldn't answer their phone. I mean, we would be getting ready to start the show because, I mean, it was a live show every Thursday night. And uh, sometimes they just wouldn't even answer their phone for whatever reason. So Tim and I would be then forced to uh, do a show of our own for two hours, and it was no problem at
0: all. Yeah, I was uh, going to say that's not going to be difficult to just have Tim go for two hours. Nope,
2: nope, it wasn't. It, it wasn't. I mean, we would just uh, we would start talking about various things that was going on. You know, current events. And uh, and then just go from there And then the next thing you know, the two hours were gone And it was just like, wow, that was fast You know, we could have done Exploring the Bazaar, I think Ourselves Without any guests ever But, you know, I mean, after a while Who who wants to hear that? You want to hear other people <laughs> You
0: know, as well I would have but listened we
2: could, Yeah, we could have I mean, We could have very easily have done Exploring the Bazaar just ourselves
0: Well that could have been the name of Tim biography. <laughs> I mean, he. Um. It, 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 I hate the terms like "one of a kind" and and stuff because they're thrown around so so easily these days. But I mean, he really was. I mean, he was. And 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 folks, would you think hearing interviews with Tim or Tim on his show? If you think Tim was playing a character, he wasn't.
2: Nope, yep, that was him.
0: That was him, twenty four seven. Well, <laughs> I can't say that because I have a feeling he might have been a little different with the ladies, because
2: he was a ladies' man. Yes, very much so.
0: So I think he had a different. Uh, um, I, I he was he was wooing Lauren a little bit when he was on. <laughs> Admit it, Lauren. I
1: think so. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, He's very charismatic and and definitely and definitely loved the ladies and I mean you know he uh it it, 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 was, it was it was amazing sometimes um uh how how accomplished he he was with with that because I mean uh he was not what you would call um um pretty astan- like me <laughs> well, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know the 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 standard of 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 handsome. I mean, he was short and uh, 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 kind of you know. I mean, he was roundish. You know, he was a Always. little
0: teapot. He was short yeah. and stout.
2: Oh, and you know, he always he always had been. I you know, I've seen I've got I've got some pictures of when he was younger. You know, like a young teenager, and and he you know, with the exception that he wore you know like a Woody Allen types of type of glasses, which you know, I mean, that was about all you could get back in the late fifties and you know early sixties. Early he didn't really change too much, <laughs> but you know, he could he could talk and charm his way. Uh, you know, in in into in just about anybody's room. <laughs> yeah, you know, that was that was yeah that was that that was uh, that was one of the things that you know a lot of people were like, wow, how how did he manage to do that?
0: Because <laughs> he was Mister UFO.
2: <laughs> He's Mister UFO. I yeah, tell I <laughs>
0: people all the time, it's better to be a character than to be handsome.
2: <laughs> well, he, he definitely proved that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> he proved that in spades. Uh,
2: well, and, you know, one of the things that, that, that you know, you had brought up earlier about, uh, about his movies and that, uh, you know, one, uh, one of the aspects of his career was that uh, he wrote for the adult uh, film industry. Uh, he was a reviewer for Hustler magazine and uh, and then you know like an editor for uh, several uh, uh, magazines that uh, that dealt with uh, reporting on uh, uh, adult films and uh, he was able to use that to um, produce and uh, and direct his own X-rated uh, film that was uh, uh distributed uh by the dark brothers and this this would have been in the uh, early 80s and it was a movie called driller which was based off of michael jackson's uh uh
0: video oh, thriller God, this i didn't know
2: <laughs> oh yeah yeah and um tim managed to uh, uh, uh wrangle funding so that he could shoot this in 35 millimeter I don't know if you know that much about oh yeah, film. I know a lot about film <laughs> okay all right well and and as you well know, at that time, most of the adult films were shot on sixteen millimeter, mm-hmm. and then if they were to play say like uh well you know they did play you you know when they played on on a big screen it they would have been blown up to thirty five millimeter, but no, Tim managed to get it so that he could shoot directly onto thirty five millimeter and um and he used I mean you know, he he didn't have that much money but everything that you see on the screen i mean tim managed to make use with what money that he had because the, this this movie i mean it is it's it's hilarious, first of all, because it it combines you know uh, like a horror film with uh, with with porno. Uh, uh, you had uh, the main character, who uh, when I say when I say the main character, it was a Michael Jackson look alike that they found this dancer. That uh, I mean, he did once they had him made up, he looked just like Michael Jackson, who would turn into a werewolf whose then, uh, his, his, his schlong, um, was a drill, uh, that, that's the name driller, so that when, uh, when he would use it, his, uh, when he would change it to a werewolf, his, his,
0: uh, uh, uh um, uh, little fucker,
2: yeah, a little fucker. It wasn't a little fucker. It it turned into like this this big rotating drill that uh, he could then uh, 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 help himself to uh, various actresses. And there was music, and there was dancing, there were zombies. Uh, it <laughs> I tell you something. It it uh, it was a fantastic. Film. Is it still know. available? You can find it on DVD. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, uh, t- Tim, unfortunately, uh, the uh, the the distributors, um, of course, being distributors, he never got the the money that he was promised um, uh, from the from the royalties, and it's you know more than likely. Because for the raincoat crowd, I doubt if there would have been a lot of appeal to seeing, you know, like uh, uh, naked zombies running around, uh, you know, doing each other, and uh, and things like that. Yeah, not uh, a sexy uh, there, porno. No, no. The, I mean, there were, you know, like some conventional uh, 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 sex scenes, but a lot of it, you know, had that had that horror uh, element to it. Which, I mean, it's just, you know, they're just, it's just funny as hell and just so well produced. But uh, Tim somehow managed to, he didn't, he didn't lose the master, but uh, uh, he never uh, got the master back after it was edited and then sent uh, to, uh, you know, to be, um, yeah, mass copies to to send to uh, various various theaters. Uh, You know, he said that he believed that the master print was somewhere at a vault there in New York, but that um, he had lost track of it, and nobody was really, you know, too open to him on on what happened to it. And then once you know DVDs and VHS uh, uh, came around, there was more money being made off of those, and he never saw a dime off of any of that. Go you know, figure, someone in the so porn
0: industry screwing people over. who yeah, it? It, it? Yeah, it, it,
2: exactly, but uh, the movie itself is is really just a hoot, and and so far above anything else that was being produced at the time. I mean, you know, you there were some kind of like, you know, art house types of uh, X rated films that were being done at the time. But Driller was just this absolutely glorious funny mishmash of porn and horror and, you know, humor and it's just you know, you watch it and you'll just you you'll come away going, Just what the hell did I just watch? <laughs> did he do it
0: under the name of Creepo or Tim Beckley?
2: No, it was um um it was Tim. It was Tim Beckley, Mr. Creepo, Even though he had, uh, um, uh, there was there was a character in Driller that um, uh, 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 was was running was running around, um, uh, kind of like uh, uh, acting as an overseer of uh, of what was going on and kind of helping to advance the plot uh, the, the the plot around that um he had it, it was it was beckley with this rubber mask on that looked kind of like a quasimodo type of mask with with one eye that was you know uh, uh, uh poking out kind of like you know white and covered what tim would do is that when he would um because he would die he had to dub his voice in afterwards after a shot but uh, when the character was supposed to be talking tim would like inhale and exhale really hard and make that that eyeball <laughs> kind of pulsate so it looked like that it was pulsating with his dialogue um and he uh, even though i don't think it was referred to uh, the name was referred to in the film tim always called him mr creepo so then okay years later uh, uh, uh tim tim approached me this would have been around 2000, and at this time, um, prosumer digital video cameras were just starting to come out. All right, uh, uh, digital video cameras had 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 already come out in, in professional, uh, you, you know, for television stations and things like that. But of course, I mean, you know, they're like fifty thousand yeah. know, dollars, outrageous price. Station I worked for. Uh, was using some of the uh, uh, some of the first uh, handheld digital video cameras for field work and uh, sony had just come out with a uh, uh, it was called d8 uh d8 digital they had had a dh uh, d8 analog but then they took and uh, developed these uh, these d8 cameras it was digital but it still went on to uh, videotape Okay, rather than being, you know, like the chips or um, the, the the digital cards that they have now. And he said, you know, can we do something, you know, because there were a lot of independent producers who were putting out direct-to-video uh, uh, horror films uh, that... Uh, We're using you know know, non-conventional distributors and things like like that. And he's like, you know, I've seen some of these, and most of them are just really shit. And uh, could we do something to do something better? And I'm like. Hell yeah. (laughs) It's like I said before, you know, I'm always the type of guy who's like, sure. Uh, And, you know, since I already had a lot of experience in in television and video production, uh, uh, editing and and, uh, videography and things like that, I was like, hey, let's do it. So we came up with uh, some titles, Uh, came up with the titles first, like uh, 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 Barely Legal Lesbian Vampires. A classic. uh, yeah, uh uh, uh let's see skin-eating jungle vampires mm-hmm. and the uh, uh what was the other one? Uh, blood-sucking vampire, vampire freaks. freaks my favorite. Right. Right. Uh we shot uh, the uh barely uh, 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 legal lesbian vampires first and uh and so Tim brought back out, he, he no longer had that Quasimodo mask, but uh, he just, uh, uh, he, he brought out the character of Mr. Creepo again and used Mr. Creepo as the, kind of like the host of of these uh, of these films, you know, as kind of like, you know uh, in, introducing him Yeah, and, he's and, the and, horror host. Right, exactly exactly, and uh, so uh, um, what, what we would do is that Tim had one camera and I had a, I had another, and uh, we I would uh, I would fly into Manhattan. Uh, we would shoot quite a bit together, and then uh, and then you know uh, before or later you know Tim would shoot stuff on his own. I would shoot stuff on my own, and then it was my job to take this mishmash of material and uh, and try to match it up to the script that had originally been written, which of course by that time had deviated so wildly <laughs> you know and, and and yeah i'm i i am i'm rather a purist when it comes to uh, uh film and video production i mean i want to try to strip stick to the script as closely as possible
0: but when you're and, dealing with a true auteur you can't
2: no yeah and and that's it that's it exactly because you know tim would send tapes of stuff that it was just like okay what what what's going on here i have no idea what this has to do with with anything and then you know because of our you know, naturally budget restrictions and, and and things like that and uh, i would have to try to incorporate uh, uh, within the, uh, the, the the finished product, you know, sometimes it worked and, and sometimes it didn't, but it didn't really seem to matter because once we finished them and got them out, Tim at first had a uh, had a distributor by the name of uh, of Sub Rosa that uh, uh, I think that I think it was it was their videos that he had first seen that uh, that made him think that maybe we could do this and so they they did a like a, an okay job uh, uh, distributing these things but Tim really wasn't too happy so then he tried uh, uh, distributing them himself he got him uh, uh, on Amazon and places like that and then years later he he found other distributors to uh, to 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 take them on, Uh, but the thing about it is, is that you can still find uh, these films on various places like Tubi, streaming service like Tubi. Uh, uh, At at one time, I haven't looked recently, a couple of them were available on on YouTube in their uh, movie sections. I mean, you know, you just, you know, uh, Type you know type uh, be like the uh, like the buyer rent section thing and things like that. So I mean for movies that we made back you know twenty years ago, they're still out there and people I, I, I still get. You know, people emailing me saying, "What the hell did we just watch?"
0: <laughs> well, I noticed Lauren's gotten quiet, so I'm assuming she's looking for a distributor for uh, "Barely Legal Lesbian Vampires, uh, Driller, and Blood Sucking Vampire Freaks" as we speak.
1: <laughs> no, no, I'm just enjoying listening to
0: the conversation. It's hilarious. <laughs> she's trying to figure out how to get them in Wales. Uh,
2: well, you know, the the thing about it is, is that you know those films, you know, they're not uh, they're not X rated. There, uh, uh, my idea when when we first were were tossing it around is that this would be something that you would see, say, like on uh, Cinemax uh, late at night. Uh, so it would be there nudity, and that would you know that would be about it, you know nothing you know nothing nothing hardcore that sort of thing
0: now in all of Tim's endeavors the publishing the writing the the movies the distribution um the publishing house i mean i don't i'm not looking for figures but was he able to make a decent living or was it a hand to mouth struggle all the time it it,
2: it 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 depended really now you know in in his early days now when I say early days I mean you know like the uh, um, very late 70s early 80s um, uh, uh, he was doing quite well well with uh, with mail order you know uh, one of the one of his uh, books that he put out was called like the Prophecies of Nostradamus yes all right and um, he put ads in uh, uh, tabloid newspapers like The Inquirer when the Inquirer was still doing stories other than just uh, you know a, a celebrity rag uh, 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 the the uh, the midnight things like that. And I mean he he said that he got thousands of orders. For This book that you know that was like one of the first ones that uh, that that he did that that really broke out with uh, his whole mail order business and 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 for quite a while uh, uh, these these books just really raked it in for him so he was making quite quite a bit now uh, as time went on and uh, one of the problems of course it was the uh, uh, the post office the post office kept raising their rates so it became more and more expensive to mail this kind of material out people that i mean that that really uh, cut into any profits that you tried to make um and uh, and then uh, when and brick and mortar bookstores started to uh, to 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 fail right and left uh, that that hurt uh, Significantly uh, And it, it, it eventually it got to the point You know, early on When he would say, when he would go on Coast to coast And stump for a book He'd get a bunch of orders um, More recently You know Maybe a handful uh, So, I mean, times have changed People uh, Don't read as much unfortunately as they used to uh when they when they do read they like little bits and pieces the reader's digest version of stuff and uh uh, uh fortunately uh, ebooks kind of helped uh, uh put a band on some of those wounds where uh, that uh, it, he was getting a lot of orders through through his his ebook versions of of books but um you know f- for the most part he really did he he, ma- he made a pretty good uh, uh, uh living off of uh of doing all this um uh i mean he he wasn't um he wasn't rich by by no means but he always he always made enough that uh, uh, you know, that he could pay, you know, he could pay for his apartment. He could pay for his trips. He could pay us. Tim always paid us. Uh, you know, I I wrote for uh, magazines years back. I mean, you know, when I was going to college. Uh, I wrote for magazines like uh, you know SAGA's UFO Report, uh, uh, Official UFO, you know magazines like that. Just just to make a little extra money to uh, get my get myself through college, and uh, some of these places, you know, you had to uh, uh, beg, send multiple invoices to, uh, to to get the money owed to you. That was never the case with Tim. Tim would. Always pay, and, and a lot of times uh, he'd pay extra, and, uh, uh, and and any of the royalties that uh, that were made from the books that uh, that that we wrote for him or wrote together. I mean, he he always paid uh, paid that, and and like you said, he was so generous when it came to sending books to people. You know, you, you said you got that autographed picture and a couple of books, yeah. You know, Tim was always doing that. I mean, he would—he—he he, he loved sending books to people because, first of all, he knew that uh, uh, people would enjoy them. But he also knew that uh, by word of mouth, that you know, somebody would say, "Hey, you know, I got this book from Tim Beckley, and uh, I read it. You got to read this." And you know, that that kind of uh, stuff uh, uh, really spreads. Um, so, so yes, he he was able to right up until the time that he passed away. Uh, he was able to uh, make a, a you know a pretty living off of of what he did.
0: Yeah, I mean he was able to uh, to stay and live in Manhattan, which is not easy to do these days. No, um, no, not at all. I wouldn't have assumed he left a huge estate, but I mean I'm just glad that you know. He was able to do what he did, and 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 let's face it, people, it's not like it was lazy work. I mean, this guy busted mm. his ass. He worked nonstop. Yes, and part of that, I'm sure, was just the love of what he. He had one of those personalities. He was. He could have lived to be a hundred. He never would have stopped. Right. I I know that. Uh, they're they're still not listing a cause of death he died suddenly like I said I received an email from him uh, the night before he died Mm -hmm. um but I know he did have heart issues he'd been hospitalized last year or earlier this year I I don't know if we can say now but do we know what the cause of death was was it at least a peaceful death
2: um he he died he he had heart it was heart uh, failure he had a heart attack um um, he had uh, uh, a, a couple of years ago. He had had to have a pacemaker put in. Um, you know, this day and age, not that unusual. Uh, but uh, this this past year, he had been his his health issues had been had been increasing. Um, he was having problems with retaining water. Um, uh, which, which, which of course, course is indicative is of heart problems, yeah. and, and I think, think I think finally, it it finally, finally just had caught up with him. About a couple weeks before he died, he he had to go back into the hospital for about a week uh, because of the uh, uh, the water retention. They were trying to you uh, know you know get it out of him, drain him, so to speak, and uh, and they sent him home possibly too early, you know, because he had been home less than a week, uh, when he when he passed away in his apartment. But, you know, I think that he probably would have uh you know, if if it destined that he was going to pass away then that uh, I think he would have preferred just to have passed away in his apartment than in some, you know, hospital there in in Manhattan. But, you know, then again it's like if he had been in the hospital and had you know, whatever, whatever kind of heart issue that finally did take him, would they have been able to pull him out of it?
0: Okay. First you off, know. you know you're wrong. He would have preferred to be in the arms of a lady.
2: Well, yeah, definitely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but as Lauren said, I, we, let's not, let's not think of him as gone. Let's think of him as gone home. Mm-hmm. He's yeah up, up on the mothership, as uh,
2: one of his friends said, you know, he's, he, he finally got that, uh, uh, got his ticket for the mothership, and he took it.
0: And he's flipping <laughs> off all the Heaven's Gate people.
2: <laughs> Probably. <laughs> well, knowing Tim, though, he wouldn't be flipping them off. He'd be buying them drinks. That's true.
0: He'd be yeah. telling them stories. Yes, yes. And he'd say, you think you guys dressed funny? Look at this. Yeah. <laughs>
2: and I have to ask you, what picture uh, did he send you?
0: He's in one of his suits with his fedora on.
2: Yes, okay. Yeah, yeah. he loved He loved that picture. <laughs>
0: it's that's, a, a that's a great picture. picture. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, and and you look at it and you're like, if you'd never seen him or met him, you would just heard him and you saw that picture, you'd say, yeah, yeah that's pretty much exactly what <laughs> I thought he'd look like. <laughs> it's the opposite of me. When people finally see me, they're like, oh, my God, I had no idea you looked like that.
2: <laughs> With
0: Tim, you'd be like, Yeah, yeah, that's it. I that's exactly how I pictured him. <laughs> <laughs> you have this like, you know, completely normal, good old American, handsome look. What the hell are you doing in this field?
2: Ah, <laughs> you know, that's uh uh that's the way that I I I have always been. I've always been the uh um I I kind of like just just I come in and without anybody really noticing get the get my info, get the information and then uh, um, and then and then leave. You know, yeah, I, look at that's me, just, I'm a
0: Midwesterner. I'm, yeah. I'm just you know I'm no. It's okay.
2: Well, you know, a lot of that came. From my, uh, my 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 career in television, because you know, I was I was a videographer yeah. for enough years, award-winning and, videographer. Yeah, and, and and you know, when when you're a videographer, the one of the things, especially say like uh, uh, when you're doing uh, news. Uh, you 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 have to get in there as quietly and as unassuming as possible, especially if you're at a situation that's volatile uh and uh, and try you know, try not to be noticed, which you know back then was not very easy because you had these you know big honk ass uh uh uh, 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 uh th- three-quarter-inch uh, cameras on your shoulder, you know, with a, with a big old recording deck on one side, and if it was nighttime, you know, you had those great big huge lights that, uh, that you put up on there. So, you know, I learned... Very early to be rather stealthy, so to speak, and to get in and just kind of blend in with the crowd as as much as I possibly could. You know, get my get my story and then get out again. And that's uh, that's kind of the way that I have approached my whole uh, 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 UFO paranormal in, investigations. You know, I uh, uh, when I go to talk to people. I try to be as non-threatening as possible. A lot of people who have had these experiences are are really... uh, Sometimes they're they're really in shock, uh, depending on what has happened to them, because uh, most people... Have no knowledge, no interest in this kind of stuff, and if they've had some kind of just really uh, extraordinary uh, 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 experience, you know, you don't want somebody coming in just you know uh, uh, I, 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 and I'm not saying that Tim was like this but I'm you know, I'm talk, you know I'm talking about me you know you don't want somebody coming in just being all loud and brash and and, and asking uh, just barraging questions and uh, you know, what I would do is I would come in and uh, uh, you know just just sit down and have a conversation you know I would find out I, I, I find out about the people What they do for a living, you know. What their family. How long have they lived here? And just you know, make them comfortable. And then you know, as we're talking, you know, you slowly start bringing in the questions about you know what happened with their experience. You know, you know, uh, who else was there? Uh, You know, uh, what did you see? Did you hear anything? Had anything weird happened? You know, uh, before this? Did they probe
0: your rectum?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You try to avoid those those kind of questions, though. You know, I have. Sorry, Whitley. Had, I have had some people, though, almost right off the top say, "And I just want you to know
0: that nobody stuck anything up my ass." <laughs> <laughs> At which point, Tim Beckley would say, no point in being here." Oh
2: uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: so yeah, so but see, you know, I think that's that's one of the reasons that tim beckley and i got along so well together because you know i may come across as like you said this is kind of you know normal midwestern type of guy uh but but you know inside my my taste and humor are v- very similar <laughs> to, to to tim beckley i mean i i have a very dark sense of humor yeah we can't uh, all wear
0: it on our sleeves like tim could
2: uh, yeah oh no 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 uh, uh and uh, and of course you know my interest uh, in in film and television and and uh you know I mean i I, I love like independent and obscure uh, films and things like that, the weirder uh, the better uh, and uh, uh, so uh, I mean we we were very similar. Along those lines, you See, know. Now we're going to have to
0: do a show on that because I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a film nut, a film historian that um, from, you know, 1890s through probably mm-hmm. 1970s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, well, I could definitely do that. And it's funny. I, I, I have to do this because since we're paying tribute to Tim Beckley, I'm going to go tell a story that has nowhere to do with anything. Go for it. I have lectured at film schools i have debated with professional film scholars and gotten them to change their minds but i would rather sit there when i'm at home and watch the lowest grade z movies out of mexico from the 60s for fun mhm and, and and i think that's what's missing i think that's people like yourself people like tim beckley people like me you can be scholarly but you can also have fun. Right. You know, and... Uh, you know, I can discuss the great cinema of all time. At the same time, I can turn around and, you know, do, do an, a lecture on Night of the Bloody Apes. You know? <laughs> Classic Mexican cinema. But... Brilliant. Yeah, I'm, I'm wearing an El Santo
2: t- T-shirt right now. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, yeah. See, I, I just I just watched for the millionth time uh, 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 the other night uh, Brainiac and uh, World of Vampires.
0: Oh, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> see, we could definitely do this. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I we're going way over time. I know. I, did, I told you we wouldn't be this long. So I'm going to have to ask just a couple rapid-fire questions
2: Mm-hmm, okay.
0: and this. But the first one is you're you're, you're coming back on. yes you have no option now because first off uh you don't have exploring the bazaar anymore so you can't use that as an excuse (laughs) we have a million topics to talk about now
2: Uh, yes that's fine okay love
0: love to first question in honor of it being tom jones birthday the other day (laughs) the greatest thing ever to come out of wales is it not tom jones yes yes see lauren i
2: love tom jones he was in uh, um, um, Tim Burton's uh, film, Oh uh, Mars, Mars, Mars Attacks. Attacks. Mars Attacks. Yeah, I think that was one of, the, one of the greatest things I've ever seen him do. That last, uh, that last scene with him with all the animals singing.
0: <laughs> it is very bizarre that uh, it was Slim Whitman that destroyed the aliens, though.
2: <laughs> but does that really surprise you? Oh God, no. no. <laughs> yeah, it it it's a wonder he didn't destroy all of humanity at some point. You know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Next question, other than Tim Beckley, mm-hmm. who do you think was the most important person to the modern uh, paranormal UFO movement?
2: All right, uh, boy, that's that's a toss-up, because there's a couple of people that uh, uh, both Tim and I New and admired. One, One of them would be Brad Steiger.
0: Okay, very good answer.
2: And John Keel.
0: I was going to say Keel, um, especially on, uh, you know, I mean, he's most famous for Mothman prophecies, but some of the other work he did that people tend not to remember now is just mind-blowing. Right. Do you think the guys out there now, um, yourself, um, Nick Redfern, We'll be able to keep it up even now that the uh, government is starting to release things.
2: Oh, yeah. I, th- I think so because the government isn't really releasing anything. No. Uh, you know, at, at least they've. Once again, because this is something that they have said before in the past, that you know they've acknowledged that uh, there, there, there is something you know bizarre going on in the sky. They just don't know what it is. Uh, the, heck, they they said that you know back in the, uh, I think the the the, the late fifties. It just didn't quite get around like it is it is now, um, but. Uh, uh, I have my doubts that the government the military really knows that much more than we do. Uh, they may have some better film and video and, and things like that. And there there could actually have been evidence, really good evidence, that had been collected over the years. But it's kind of like the, uh, the ending of the first Indiana Jones movie. It's been locked away and... Put into a warehouse somewhere and forgotten about. I I wonder if a lot of the people that are currently in the government and the military are um, up to date on all the stuff that's been collected over the years because everything had been compartmentalized to such an extent. That uh, people earlier involved have now passed away, and didn't really reveal. You know, there's this warehouse there in you know Hoboken where there's an entire crash saucer sealed away. You know, in a uh, in, in a box. So uh, so yeah, I mean, I I really do wonder if uh, because people keep saying you know oh just wait till disclosure you know disclosure. Uh-uh, I uh, I don't think that they currently have any more information about what's going on than than we do they just know that there's something unknown in our skies they can't do anything about it and they're not going to tell us that because yeah well what government is going to acknowledge that you know there's something weird flying around in their skies and they're helpless to stop it you know
0: yeah i always thought that the government actually and with, with the evidence and things they have, they would actually be able to close the book and debunk a lot of things out there easier instead of just hiding it. Because I think a lot of things that are unexplained are actually explained very openly, but the government's not going to say that either. Like, like I always use as an example, so many uh, 60s sightings that people did drawings of and showed pictures of look remarkably like the stealth bomber that was being tested.
2: Right, right.
0: And I think the government could come out and say, you know, okay, these ten cases here, there's nothing to it. hmm And here's the evidence, fine, you got us, that's our disclosure, that was us. <laughs> but they won't want to do that either.
2: No, no. Well, and, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to do that because I think that... Uh, <laughs> They don't want to be caught up in the fact that, yeah, they, they you know, lied and obstructed uh, the, the, the truth for so long that it's just easier to ignore it and dismiss. Ignore and dismiss.
0: Yeah, dog in uh, the vacuum cleaner. If I don't look at it, it's not there.
2: <laughs>
0: I like that. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> well, last of the rapid-fire questions. Pluto, is it a planet or not? Yes, Pluto's a planet. Thank you, Lauren. I <laughs> told you.
2: <laughs> uh, it may be a runt, you know. It's fine. It may be a tiny, little planet, but I mean, it's still, uh, I grew up with Pluto being, planet, being a planet, and God damn it, it's going to stay a planet. Right.
0: Long and Lauren, do you have any questions before uh, we wrap it up?
2: No, just
1: I'm so glad that you've agreed to come back on because it would be amazing to have you discuss another topic with us.
2: Oh, well, thank you, Lauren. It would be my pleasure.
0: And uh, before we let you go, um, how do you think the world should remember Timothy Green Beckley?
2: You know, I think one of the best ways to remember uh, uh, Mr. Beckley is to buy and read his books, uh you know because he loved each and every book that that he did uh yeah, the the one that you had just re- you referred to earlier the uh, um, um alien lives matter uh, you know it's okay to be gray uh yeah, he, he really loved that book and and you know he 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 got a little grief from from the rest of us who weren't quite sure whether or not You know because of that time with the whole uh, Black Lives Matter movement Whether or not uh, some people Would uh, take him to task For that title but he stuck With it because uh, a large Portion of the book dealt with um, African American studies And research in UFOlogy Something that hasn't really been uh, uh, Approached very much By other authors So uh, you know He and and he proved He proved himself right on that so, you know, all of his books are still available on Amazon and will remain so for, you know, hopefully the rest of our lives. Because that's, that's the beauty of um, uh, 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 of Amazon and Barnes & Noble, Barnes & Noble's as well. Uh, that, that, uh, so, you know, if, if, if you want to help keep Tim Beckley's legacy alive, read his books and uh, there's there we have at least one more that we're trying to put together that Tim was working on when he passed away that that hopefully we'll be able to get get finished and put out in the next uh, couple of months. So
0: that's that's fantastic. And check out the the shows you guys did together, everybody. Um, look for exploring the bazaar on YouTube or podcast platforms. And um, anything you want to pitch right now? Any uh, any projects? Anything you want to pitch? Well
2: our website is conspiracyjournal.com and uh, it it has uh, all of our articles and uh, uh, and, and links to uh, some of Tim's favorite books so I mean you you can go there and and, and get more information on those lines and then you know uh, 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 Tim's YouTube channel was called Mr UFO's Secret Files and that's where you can find the uh, uh the exp- not only the exploring the bizarre videos but also some uh, interviews that, that that Tim had done a few years ago with uh, some uh, uh, UFO personalities people like you know Tom dongo and Diane Tesman people like that
0: yeah and uh you know I just want to say he was. He was a character, and in in a world of people who want to be characters, he was a natural character. He was genuine. He he was the genuine article. I'm so glad I got to know him the last uh, several years, and I'm glad I became a friend of his. And, um, you know, I'll never forget him, and I I hope others don't. And, uh, like you said, we should keep his legacy alive by reading his books and uh, just paying tribute to this great, this great, American original
2: <laughs> Yep. Yeah, well I mean Tim Beckley he he was such a he was such a great friend to me and uh, I miss him every day
0: yeah well with Tim Schwartz I cannot thank you enough for coming on this show but I think we should call it a podcast so from Tim Schwartz who's in his secret underground bunker in the Midwest and Brian in Buffalo and with me all the way across <laughs> the pond
1: it's Lauren from Swansea. Good night. Good night.
0: Good night. Good
1: night. I think Tony Stark would have been a bit more believable if he could have sworn. Just like at the last minute when he, before he clicked, he goes, I'm fucking Iron Man.